0: Welcome to A Trauma-Informed Life, where I share my perspective on improving the U.S. healthcare system as a trauma-informed caregiver, industry insider, mother, woman, and human being. I'm Erica olenski Johansson, and this is my journey, encountering and engaging with the system as a chronic, complex caregiver. My hope is that sharing my observations will create a dialogue that helps to improve the experience of healthcare consumers everywhere. So my kiddo has been battling RSV all week. We got a diagnosis on Friday of last week. And, and historically, when he received any kind of upper respiratory virus or infection, we've always used his oxygen need as a barrier for escalating care. So did he need oxygen? If so, then we're likely going to the hospital. And more than likely, we're getting admitted. Well, after his most recent discharge, we were discharged with a plan of care that gave us a little more flexibility on how to treat at home so that we could keep him out of the hospital and out of an inpatient scenario. So we treated him at home this week with RSV. He really wasn't symptomatic until Sunday, but we've been doing supplemental oxygen at home. We have what's called an IPV machine that helps provide a kind of pressurized, rhythmic, Nebulizer experience to help move around congestion, especially when there's congestion as a result of upper respiratory issue. And we used all of the tools we could at home. And then we wound up in a doctor appointment Thursday morning that was already a pre-planned preventative care PCP appointment. We were going to meet with his his primary care physician in the complex care department of the the children's health system. And we get there and she's doing her assessment. So our preventative care appointment mid year assessment turned into a sick visit because he had a present issue and at the conclusion of the visit we're looking at his vitals and and her comment was you know i really don't feel comfortable with you going home with any kind of order indication that he needs more than 2 liters of oxygen and at that rate we're really out of runway in terms of what we have access to in terms of that escalation so i really think we need to go to the e, the er and we will call ahead to let the ER know that you'll be you'll be admitted because what we needed to do to be admitted is we needed a room that would have access to event if needed. And ideally that wasn't going to be the case but there's a very limited number of rooms within the health the hospital itself that have access to both the clinical team that could manage something like that, but also the equipment needed to support that as well. So we wound up, At this doctor appointment, we were there by nine o'clock in the morning. We left the doctor's appointment around 1130 or noon and went, just walked next door from the specialty center to the ED of the actual children's health system and went through the ED, got admitted or got a room, thankfully, because he is considered a complex care kiddo. It was overflowing with people. So already super grateful that at least being a part of the health system and having a physician to advocate internally, was key in us getting a room that gave us a home base to at least figure out what next steps look like. So we get into a room and they start doing their assessment. And really the, the experience in the ED is so frustrating as a caregiver, especially one that's informed and very involved in the day-to-day care because they do have to come in with fresh eyes. So they're asking all of these, so what brings you in today? Tell me about this. And they, they come in intentionally not being informed, about the care, which creates problems, both in points of frustration, but also it kind of is like a a weak excuse to not do homework, if that makes sense. So I've seen this also happen in ophthalmology and other specialty disciplines that are kind of inherently siloed and not as dependent on other specialists and collaboration with other physicians to help coordinate that care. So the ED kind of operates on its own, like any other siloed specialist might. And so they come in and they're you know, asking all these questions. And even I could be as informed and prolific as possible in terms of recounting my son's health experience, his medical record, his current needs, his, his current challenges, where we're at in terms of problem solving. I can do all of that work. It takes me an enormous amount of energy to do that as well as the caregiver. I'm recounting this every shift change as well. But the problem we ran into yesterday, we got admitted into the ER around noon, went through the dog and pony show of working with their team. And then the message from his PCP was, I need you to get into a room in the hospital that has access to event." Well, the ED didn't see or share the same urgency. So the way that my son is usually handled is they think, oh, we'll put him on a Gen Peds floor because inherently that floor should be more collaborative with all of the specialties rather than putting him on a specific specialty floor. The problem that that creates though, for him is that in the absence of having one specialty that's able to support him in one capacity clinically, he winds up sacrificing any specialization in his care. So all of that collaboration comes at an expense of not having any specialization or nuances considered in how to care for him. So he winds up on a floor, potentially if he's on like Gen Pete's floor, with nurses that don't have regular experience working with trach. They definitely are not comfortable or experienced working with vents. They might have some nurses that are capable of doing that, but really, for the most part, they're not. And that's true in the ER too. I had a, a nurse yesterday that my son was desatting because he accidentally had his oxygen tubing disconnect from his trach, and so he starts desatting into the seventies. And literally nobody shows up, and so I'm problem solving because I'm there and present, and I'm like trying to figure out all the things that I can go through in my head in terms of okay, you know, are we connected? Am I suctioning? Am I doing all the the check boxes that I'm aware of? And I'm like, I need somebody to help problem solve right now. So I'm now going into the hallway, having to flag somebody down. The nurse that's assigned to our room comes in and and she's, you know, very passive. She's like, I'm going to go get an RT. Well, now we've got additional time between something happening from a problem solving standpoint and RT coming in, which is probably fine because RT is going to be equipped to help handle and problem solve that situation better. But the RT comes in and figures out that the tubing had just gotten disconnected. We get him hooked back up and he's fine and good to go. Well, this nurse makes a comment of something like, you know, I just, I don't do trachs. (laughs) Well, that doesn't mean that you can use that as an excuse to not share a sense of urgency. If he's desatting into the seventies, like I shouldn't have to be sitting right here for someone to respond to his needs. Like how long does it have to go for somebody to, to react to what's happening and to the alarms? Like I just, it's mind blowing to me. So it creates like from a trauma informed standpoint, it creates this dynamic where then I have to now just be on edge all the time, especially when I'm in the ED. About am I sitting here at bedside? If I step away to go get food, what happens? Is he going to desat? Something going to happen, or is he going to fall out of the bed and somebody's going to have a really slow response time? And it's to my son's detriment. And so there's that that trauma informed piece of the care partner caregiver experience that. I think is really useful. So we get, do the whole dog and pony show with the care, with the provider team. And their first inclination is, well, we're going to put them on a Gen Pete's floor because we didn't have all the care collaboration. So my first response to them was, that can't happen. And I actually use this analogy. I said, you ever been on a date with somebody and just, it didn't work. You know, for whatever reason, you had your 10 red flags and you're like, okay, I'm going to take my lessons learned from here. And I'm going to try dating again. So you date with somebody else and now you're equipped and informed with all of these red flags that you can identify in future dates. And then you come across, you know, eight more with this new person. Well, you've already made this commitment to yourself. You're like, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to continue trying to date this one person that I know this type of person that has, you know, 10, eight to 10 red flags. Like, I just, I'm not going to waste my time on it. And so that's our experience with genpedes Every single time we've gone to Genpedes We've had these really intense and kind of risky experiences that have resulted from this good intention of care collaboration that doesn't actually happen. And I'm not going to put my kiddo in a compromised position like that. I know what the nurse to patient ratios are on that floor. I know what the clinical team's skills are on that floor, and they're not going to meet the needs of my son. So we need to think of something else. So they're clearly irritated. They go back and they say, you know, hey, I don't have... A room on the pulmonary floor, which is probably the best place for him, because we are days backed up in terms of bed availability on pulmonary, which is actually back to the nursing shortage. And so, when we think about as an industry, too, how do we promote, you know, how do we solve for provider experience? Like, that's the actual, that's what happens by not having providers pursuing these career paths, maintaining a good standing in those career paths staying motivated within them, it becomes a actual clinical impact for the patients at the end of the day, because then they're sitting in the ER for days on end, waiting for a bed to become available. So pulmonary can't take us. I'm telling them pretty firmly that we're not going to be put in a compromised position with GenPeds. So negotiation point was, well, we'll put him in a GenPeds room on the pulmonary floor. So in theory, he should have access to the kind of clinical talent needed for his circumstances but it'll be more of a Gen GenPeds floor vibe instead. So I agreed to that approach contingent upon being on the pulmonary floor, which would mean we'd have access to the vents and things that we would need in case things escalated to that point. Well, we wind up getting the referral to the pulmonary floor for this GenPeds room and the pulmonary floor kicks back and says, no, we're gonna reject your bed request, not just because we have uh, no rooms available, but his oxygen need is too high. So they were going to put this kid on a Gen Peds floor that pulmonary wouldn't even accept. So I'm now questioning why is there such a disconnect in the clinical needs of my kiddo if they have the good intentions of the Gen Peds floor, but it's almost as if my caregiving and advocacy for him is overshadowing his clinical need too. Whereas like the clinical team becomes too reliant on me as the, the caregiver and to fill in those gaps. And that that part also is unacceptable because I'm a single parent and I have to make sure that I can continue working and I have to make sure that I can continue, you know, making sure my older son's taken care of. And that might mean that I have to step away from the hospital for a few hours and I'm not going to put my youngest kiddo at an expense because of that. So we, we get rejected from pulmonary and then we wind up, with a bed request into the ICU, which is actually equipped to handle both the vent requirement and the oxygen requirement that he's now clinically meeting. And so our next hurdle was waiting until an ICU room was available. So we arrived in the ER yesterday following a 9 a.m. doctor appointment, arrived in the ER, ED around noon, and did not get a bed assignment in the ICU until 6.30 the next morning. And so just thankfully we're in a room now, which is great. And I know there's other families and other kids that have struggled to get the proper bed assignment, but it is still just every single time we come into an inpatient scenario, especially it becomes so clear to me where these disconnects and cracks start to emerge in terms of both just like clinical, clinical collaboration, but also collaboration with me as a caregiver and not being too reliant and on me as a caregiver to fill in things that really should be an expectation of the quality of what care is delivered on the health system level, but also just shows so many other things that are problematic with the industry right now in terms of the nursing shortage and provider shortage and and just resources not being properly and sustainably allocated to the kids and and patients that need them. So it's just today alone, (laughs) so many insights into what we need. And, and thankfully we're in the room that we need to be in now. And my kiddo has exactly what he needs. And I'm very glad that we're in here because his oxygen need went up when, as soon as we arrived in the room, we're working on a pretty strong oxygen requirement in order to get him to a place where he can start recovering. But yeah, it's just been, it's been mind blowing to, to see what was needed for us to even get to this point. First of all, you need to level set your expectations of the caregiver's You cannot expect your caregivers to fill in gaps that systemically the health system should be responsible for providing. That's unacceptable. Then you really truly start seeing the damaging effects that social determinants of health, for example, start to highlight. If you don't have the proper education or the proper resources or the proper social structures to support caregiving in any form or fashion, that the health system has to recognize that Even the most capable caregivers deserve an opportunity for self-care and deserve to not have to deliver clinical support when they're in an inpatient experience. Anything that that caregiver does should be above and beyond what should be provided, provide the base level experience and the best possible outcomes for that patient. And I think starting with that as a philosophy creates a foundation to build from where you start to look at the caregiver truly still as a a collaborative partner in all of this, because you don't want to undermine that by any means. You have to look at them as a collaborative point of care, but you cannot rely on them. And I think rely on them in a a clinical capacity, but you still need to create and, and accept space for them to deliver clinical support as needed. And there's a dance and a balance with that.